in the month of December here, <clears throat> it's what we call the Christmas season traditionally. And uh, here we are, just 20 days before Christmas. Well, yeah, you're like me. I mean, I mean just always kind of do this, the same thing every year. It's like, wow, how did this happen so quick? But here it is. And when this time of the year rolls around, we naturally think of the birth of Jesus Christ, which was, of course, prophetically foretold thousands of years before he arrived. And the, the birth of Christ and how it came about is really a beautiful story that, that warms the heart of people around the globe. And uh, it's interesting that Christmas, while <clears throat> there is the genuine, authentic understanding of what Christmas is really all about, it's actually turned into quite an interesting commercial holiday season of which people are excited about all the decorations and the cheer and many people even around the globe that wouldn't necessarily embrace Christ as personal savior but many many people kind of get in the if you will the Christmas spirit as it pertains to decorations and gift giving etc. But when you think of Christmas we have songs describing the joy that Christ brought to humanity and the hope of being rescued from our sins and, and the embrace uh, of eternal life. I love what the Nicene Creed declared in 325 AD. He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Speaking of Jesus... He is the lens through which we see to clarify our vision of God. This is a huge deal. Jesus is not just a filter through which God is seen. Jesus is that God. God is and was and always will be exactly like Jesus the Jesus we read of in the Gospels and that is spoken of throughout the New Testament epistles. It was the apostles of the early church that testified that all of the fullness of God was enfleshed in Christ and that Jesus of Nazareth was the perfect human image of the invisible spirit of divine love. Because God is fully revealed in Jesus, exactly like him, we see God is a self-giving lover, not a conquering emperor like Constantine, for example, who tried to Christianize the world by political force. The Christmas season has been historically a feast celebrating the incarnation Literally, the enfleshment of God Almighty. The incarnation has to do with the God of the universe becoming human. For since the creation of the world... The scriptures tell us his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. Paul writes this in the book of Romans. 
this invisible, his invisible attributes are seen and understood simply through creation. All of creation is an expression of the God of the universe. So when we look at the beauty of creation, wherever you go on the planet, you can go to Hawaii, you go to Australia, go to the beautiful parks in Utah, go into the European nations, to the Asian countries. Wherever you go upon the planet, there is beauty. The beauty of creation and it's an expression of the God of the universe. It's an expression of Christ who always was. Understand, Jesus was not one as a human who became Christ. He always was one with the Father. He always was Christ and then manifests himself in human flesh. And the scripture talks about all things being made and held together by Christ. So we have Father God, Christ, and Holy Spirit who created the universe, and the birth of Jesus personified the God of the universe, and humankind got to see God face to face for the first time. Interestingly, though, they didn't realize the bigger picture until the end of Christ's ministry, then they begin to awaken unto it. And we wouldn't have either. Even the Jewish people who read the scriptures in the Old Testament that prophetically spoke about a coming Messiah were thinking of a political leader. Because true to human flesh, we want to be part of something that we feel very heroic about. Power, control. And so the dear Jewish people thought that they were going to have a political leader who would make them powerful in a political sense. And so all of a sudden, here comes Jesus as a baby in a manger. It hardly looked promising for them to have a strong political leader that would empower them and make them supreme over all nations of the world. It's understandable we'd have been the same thing if we'd have been raised in that setting. At least I certainly would have. If that had been my background, I would have went along with the same thinking. And so to embrace Christ as a savior of the world, that this is actually God, it sounded like absolute, he sounded like a lunatic when Jesus then began to make declaration, I am he, the king of the Jews before he goes to the cross. It was bizarre sounding. And so the fuller picture, though, of the incarnation is not only about the birth of Christ, but refers to the entire life of Jesus over three decades. Jesus was the incarnation of God. And when Jesus went public, King Herod was freaking out because he thought it was the reincarnation of John the Baptist. This John the Baptist preaching about this coming one. And Herod's just like, I mean, he's freaking out over this. He didn't know the half of it. Jesus was not the reincarnation. He was the incarnation of God. 
Yeah, the God of Israel, but the God of all peoples of the earth. As a matter of fact, the God of the entire universe. The early church, drawing from rich traditions of the Gospels and the epistles that were written to the various churches, mostly by Paul and Peter and John, and looking at the early hymns and the liturgies and the creeds and the councils, they all came to this consensus by 325 A.D. And I read just a little snippet from the Nicene Creed. Now remember, this was when Constantine, who was the Roman emperor at the time, had invited 1,500 bishops from the west and from the east to come together and to convene together and work through and come to a consensus of the central doctrines of Christianity. Not as a religion, but as a genuine faith, relational reality through Christ. And so they formed what is called the Nicene Creed. Many, many churches use this as just their fundamental, basic statement of doctrine. Here's part of it. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, in one Lord, Jesus Christ, light from light, very God from very God, of one essence with the Father. You know, the Apostle Paul kind of echoed this some years later, many years later, as a matter of fact, because Paul writes this some years later after Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 4, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom are all things came, for whom we live, but there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came or were created, and through whom we live. So possible, he just kind of makes this summary statement. Now, that's in chapter 8 there where he's having some discussion about whether it was acceptable for meat that had been offered to idols to be eaten or not. And, you know, and some people felt offended by that. And, and so that was a context. So like, I, I know from the world's perspective, he says there's many gods and many idols and such. But as for us, we've come to this revelation that there's one Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's important to understand is that Jesus and the Father, while distinct persons, and yet they share the fact together that they, along with the Holy Spirit, are referred to in Scripture as one God or one Lord. Now, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, <clears throat> the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, when we talk about the Word here, the word, word is not referring to the Scriptures it's referring to the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? He's the Logos. And so referring to Christ, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we have Christ, the creator of the universe. He so loved human beings that he became one of us. This is astounding that he would so love humanity that he said, I'm going to become 
one of us. I'm going to become one with fellow humankind. I'm not going to come and just be one additional human. I'm going to become integrated with, infused into the life of all human beings. After all, he already was because he was Christ. And in his humanity, it just continued even in a more fuller place and in a manner of revelation. Because now we begin to hear his voice in person. And they begin to see how he responded to many circumstances and situations. You go, oh, this is what God looks like. This is how he responds to these adverse situations. Oh, I get it now. And that's why when you read through the Gospels, you read through Mark and Matthew and Mark and Luke and then the Gospel of John, and you just sit in awe at the person of Christ who always was and is and is to come. He is the creator of the world. And so John just helps us to understand here that he comes in human form not as an additional human to the one billion who are living on the earth at that time, but he came and he integrated his life, infused with everyone else. Hopefully, we can regain the astonishment and the joy that overcame the shepherds as the first witnesses, if you can imagine that. It's not easy to regain this sense of awe and wonder when we've kind of become conditioned to it 2,000 years later and we have all of our traditions regarding the birth of Christ and Christmas and the nativity scenes and our hearts are always warmed with that. But I want my heart to be more than warmed. I want to have a fresh sense of awe at my God. My God who created the universe and he came to this earth he became us. Jesus came from the Father to reveal himself in a way that we could see, we could touch, we could hear. In the flesh and blood person of Jesus, we have only the only life ever lived that perfectly reveals the true nature of God as far as it can be revealed in a human being. If you want to understand the scriptures, the appropriate way to go about it is come to Christ first. Because he is the exact representation. And I always share with people this, and I know many, many pastors do for sure, you always want to encourage someone if he says, I've got an interest in Christianity or something. And I want a Bible. I want to read your Bible. The place to start is not Genesis. You will get very confused in short order. Because the scriptures really need to be seen through the person of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John is one of the first places to start. And then you go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you go, oh, my goodness, now I'm getting a picture of who, really, of who God really is. 
And once we have this, the, the, this true picture of who Christ really is, then the rest of the scriptures can begin to make sense because in the Old Testament scriptures, everything <clears throat> that happened was not necessarily the heart of God, even the will of God. God bent towards humankind in many different situations. He kind of works with people, and he still does today. God's not quite as black and white as we think. He never has been, and you'll read that through the Old Testament. And that's why you see sometimes things don't make sense, where God says, I don't want this. I don't want a king, but I'll let you have a king anyhow. Well, aren't you God? Why don't you just draw the line and make it impossible or something? So you have a lot of workings and happenings of the Old Testament, some of which are attributed to God. And then you just read a little further, a little deeper, and you realize, well, that's never what God wanted anyhow. Like when you go to the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, and God says, I never did want sacrifices. You go, what? I thought God set the whole system up. Yes, but it's not what he really wanted. But he worked with humankind who came out of their pagan backgrounds of sacrifice. And so he worked through that. And yet in Hebrews tells us it's never, he never did want it. As a matter of fact, the sacrifices that were supposed to atone for sin didn't even cover all the sins, the scripture tells us in Hebrews. Well, really interesting, isn't it? So if we want to understand the things of God and how God works with humanity, we start with the person of Christ Jesus. That's one of the things that makes Christmas so special when we realize this truth, that he was more than a cute baby in a manger. This was the revelation of God and who he was. And as we read all about that, we begin to catch it. The New Testament writers remind us that Jesus of Nazareth was more than this wandering peasant prophet in, from Galilee, but they insist that he was and is the exact image of God's essence. He's the precise imprint of God's being. That's why we first go to Christ. And when we get firmly grounded in who the person of Christ is, then we can begin to make sense of all the other crazy stuff in history and presently in the world today. The glory of Christ. Colossians 1 and verse 10. <clears throat> um, Apostle Paul here is praying... We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyful, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, he, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Um, the amplified version puts it this way. Now, he is the exact likeness of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. He is the firstborn of all creation. And then when we move to the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews 
addresses this. Since Christ is the central figure of our faith, the writer of Hebrews reaches past and he says, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son, speaking of Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty in heaven. Let's take a look at it in the Amplified Version. He is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outraying or radiance of the divine. He is the perfect imprint and the very image of God's nature. I love the verbiage that's used here. It's so powerful. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2, 9 and 10, and I read it in the, it's a TLB, I forget which is the TLB. Today's living, it's a Bible version, okay? <laughs> For in Christ there is all of God in the human body. He nailed it. He nailed it. In Christ there is all of God in the human body. Central to the Christian faith is this one thing. Christ's godness and Christ's humanity. His godness and his humanity wrapped up and revealed through Christ. So this Jesus of Nazareth was truly, and he was fully human, but he was, he, he was plain enough to those who saw, heard, and touched, and shared life with him. Now, here's what's interesting, guys. No one questioned his humanity during his ministry. He looked quite ordinary. He dressed like everyone else. Ate breakfast, ate fish, walked and got tired, had to lay down and take a nap that we all would rather do more often, right? I mean, Jesus, the ordinary human. How many of you have been uh, kind of tracking with that Chosen series, right? And that's one of the things I love about the Chosen. We haven't seen, I guess it's kicked off with the second season here or, or something, but we haven't done that yet. But um, I, I love how they really illustrate his humanity. They do so well at it, right? Yeah. Right? It's really beautiful. He just sits down and he interacts and... I like that he's not all stoic all the time, you know. He'll chuckle and he laughs and just kind of like an ordinary man. And it's amazing. And you can see sometimes the tensions between the different uh, disciples and such. And, and they kind of try to work through things and they talk about it, etc. you know. But no one questioned his humanity during his ministry. What was not apparent at first and revealed carefully and convincingly in his life and resurrection that he was also God. That was a mind blower. That was a mind blower. 
Remember when Jesus said to Peter, who do you think I am? And Peter goes, he has this aha holy moment. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, wow, you got it, Peter. He said, it wasn't any person that revealed this to you. That came by the spirit of the living God. All of a sudden, he was awakened to the reality in whose presence he was with. This wasn't just Jesus, the guy that said, come follow me, and I'm chasing after him because he's got a cool mission. But rather, oh my goodness, he's God. Now, I don't know what Peter's friends did and the other disciples did, but I imagine a few jaws dropped about then. It's like, say what? You're kidding me. No way. You're the Christ? I mean, we've read the scriptures. You know, the Old Testament talking about the one, the Christ, the Messiah who would come and you're, you're him? Oh, my goodness. And we've been hanging out with you for three years and we just thought you were a cool guy. We're doing all these short-term mission trips. <laughs> Seeing people healed, demons come out of people and people foaming with the mouth and growling like bears and all this stuff. And it's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Oh, but we've actually been hanging out with God? Well, his closest disciples who knew his humanity full well, in the end, when Jesus went out to the mountain before the ascension, the scripture tells us in Matthew 28, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, <clears throat> they worshiped him because they caught the revelation and he, in fact, was God. It was more than just a cute baby in the major and the fine young man that grew up that everybody respected highly because he was so well-mannered and he was so honorable. And he didn't get himself all wrapped up in some of the troubles that some of the other neighborhood kids did. It's like, this guy is different. There's something unique about him. And then he started doing all these miracle things and, wow, he's God. And they worshiped him. However, move forward. Now you have the first generation of Christians who weren't around and didn't get to be with him in his humanity. And over the next decades, they started to struggle with his humanity. They had no problem understanding him as God but then they begin to struggle with this, ah, well, but he couldn't have been just that human. After all, he was God. And if he was really God, I mean, mm, you know, I mean, maybe he showed up in some supernatural way, but he couldn't have been really fully human. And the first heresy of the early church was that Christ was not truly human. I'm giving you little history bits here, but this is, this is how it works. See? So all of a sudden, they had, initially, they, they couldn't catch that he was God. Now the early church, some years later now, now they're having a hard time with the thought or the idea or the truth, the reality that, in fact, he is the God-man. And even in his ascension today, he is God and man. 
Do you know Christ has a full human body today? He has no aches or pains, but he has a full human body. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, they're working through this now. Dearly loved friends, don't always believe everything you hear just because someone says it's a message from God. Test it first to see if it really is. There are many false teachers around, and the way to find out if their message is from the Holy Spirit is to ask, does it really agree that Jesus Christ, God's Son, actually became man with a human body? They're hitting this head on and saying, this is something that is basic to the Christian faith. Get down to the basics. This is central. Christ is God, but he's also man, and he became man. If so, this message is from God. If not, the message is not from God, but from the one who is against Christ, like the Antichrist you have heard about, who is going to come, his attitude of enmity against Christ is already broad in the, uh, um, abroad in this world. You see, when we think of Jesus among and within humanity for 33 years, we acknowledge his godness and his humanity. But Jesus, when he walked the earth, shows us exactly what God is, not just a facet of divinity, but Jesus fully revealed who God is. Not in part, fully revealed who God is. Jesus was the one true living avatar of the transcendent God. John chapter 14. Verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us. Jesus said, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen, help me out, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Well, we could smile at that and we could laugh at it, but guys, we'd have probably said the same thing. It was in process of coming to this realization, and in fact, then in fact, this was God. It took a while. It takes us a while to catch on to some things, right? And we even have the advantage of the scriptures. They had no scriptures back then other than a few Old Testament scriptures. And a lot of the guys had no access to that or understanding of that. It was a challenge. So Jesus on earth unveiled Father God in heaven. And his apostles confirmed that in Christ, they had experienced the impossible. They had seen God, they had heard God, and they had touched God. And in John chapter 1, 1 John 1, 1 through 4, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Not talking about the Bible. 
Jesus is what? The Logos, the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard, we now proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with his Son, Jesus. These things we write that our joy may be complete. They knew face-to-face fellowship with the Father forever changed their life. God is Christ-like. God is like Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's exactly like Jesus. God's always been exactly like Jesus. Did you notice that John the writer here shares with all of those reading this letter as it went forth amongst Christians and family members who were just in process of weighing these things out that all can have fellowship with us. In other words, all of us have already been invited into the circle of life. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of humanity are within. It's just that some of us human beings are still blind to the reality of who Christ is and the privilege that we have. It's called salvation. And our prayers are effective in this regard, that our prayers, as they ascend to the heavens, bring a weightiness to the glory of his presence that will break through darkness that we might behold who he is. But let me say this. It's not like that God looks at us from afar and say, oh, you poor lost souls. Christ is already integrated with us. Therefore, he's with us in our darkness. That ought to keep us from this religious mindset of them and us. We're all included in his love, right? We only have about 55 verses that speak about the love of God for everybody. We also have so many scriptures again and again and again. Christ died for all. Um, we also have so many scriptures, too, that tell us, and one in particular in 2 Corinthians 5, that all have been reconciled to God. God doesn't count anyone's trespasses against them. He's with us. He's with fellow humankind, even in darkness, even yet. If there's darkness that's covering the reality of who Christ is and the glorious salvation in which we get to participate by faith in a genuine, real way. How many of you are glad for Jesus? Amen. Let's stand up together. So, Father, thank you so much for the beautiful scriptures that you have allowed us to be partakers of. 
that bring about revelation and insight and understanding as to the reality of Christ, who always was, who came, became human, became one of us, reconciled the whole world, not counting one person's sins against them. And yes, you're even with us in darkness. You're not from afar pointing the finger in condemnation. You're actually with us. And even when we go through different kinds of sufferings as humankind, you suffer with us. And even when we willfully sin ourselves and bring all kinds of crazy consequences upon our lives, you don't condemn us, but you're there with us. You're with us. And, and, and the Spirit of the Lord then illuminates and opens our eyes that we may come to repentance and embrace Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives. I pray that in this Christmas season that family members and friends and co-workers will sense the love of Christ and experience an encounter with the living Christ and that eyes will be opened, God. And Lord, even we could, any one of us could say, well, my eyes are open, but, but Lord, whatever measure of darkness within any one of us, Lord, let your glory and let the fire of the Spirit purify us and cleanse us that we might fully behold who you are, that we might become all you've called us to be. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one and only Lord and God of the universe. And everybody said, amen. amen.